Startup Grind Columbus is a monthly event to educate and inspire entrepreneurs. We actively live Startup Grind's global community values of give first, help others, and make friends. Startup Grind Columbus is made possible by our lead partners, AWH, builders of exceptional digital products that drive business for growth companies and Rev1 Ventures. Visit startupgrind.com slash Columbus to see a list of upcoming events and to see videos from our past events. Now, on to this month's event podcast. Yeah, this will be good, because I've actually never started one this way before. Okay. With both of us standing next to each other like this. And all those people pretending to pay attention? Yeah. So, well, they're here to see you, not me. Uh, so, no, no, keep your mic. Keep your mic. Oh, you're going to take your jacket off. Okay. So, we're just sort of improving right now, because we're, Bill was trying to figure out whether he wanted to get a second beer to get through this. So, we're going to wait. He's not going to get the beer right now. But, but holding that as a course of action. But if he gets up and walks to the back with the mic, it's because he's going to get another beer. So yeah. don't, he's not leaving. He's not walking out. He's just going to go get another beer. So while we were talking, we figured, all right, we'll, we'll just start right now standing up um, next to each other. So hi. Hello. Uh, I have to hold it? Is this good right here? Everybody here okay? Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So this is Bill Diffenderfer. That's the actual correct pronunciation, by the way. I think it was probably lucky, but that is the way to pronounce it. Well, and I've, I've been working on it because <laughs> since I knew we were going to do this, I've said it wrong about a thousand times. So now I've finally gotten it right, but it, it, when, it, when it mattered when you were here. So that's good. Yeah, um, exactly. I've also spelled it wrong about a thousand times. Probably. So eventually we got it right. So this is Startup Grind. We get together once a month, have a conversation with an entrepreneur, investor, somebody important to the startup ecosystem. Bill certainly represents that. How many companies have you been a part of starting? Five. Five? Okay. I think that's the last count. Okay. Um, Yeah, five. How many that you thought about starting? There's two more that um, one was a choice. In order to start Silvercar, I couldn't get funding for this other idea that was a political Facebook kind of thing. So that one I really wanted to go with, but they made me pick. So I started Silvercar. Are you a Republican or Democrat? Yes. <laughs> a pox on both houses. Um, I'm a capitalist. Damn proud of it. So I've got to thank some sponsors. Otherwise, um, they get upset, and, and um, I don't want that. And there's, hi, Dave. Dave, Dave. Hi, Kami. That's you. So did you get some pizza? Good. Okay. Dave is the best dressed founder, probably in Columbus, if not anywhere. Do you any, do you know wear anything but other than polo and Tommy Hilfiger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Anstein from Prior Earth Now, right? Okay, you're number two in best dressed founders. Okay, David Comesford, number two in best dressed founders, always comes for the free pizza. Thank you. Dan Bruno in the back with Rev1. So if you don't know Rev1, talk to Dan. They let us come and hang out and do this. And I've got a multifaceted relationship with those guys. Super great people. Daryl, where did Daryl go? Daryl Tanner from King Memory. Daryl, you still trying to build the team? A lot of people. And, and Daryl was concerned about his outfit. He, did, he thought it was a little too monochromatic, but it looks okay. So... It looks, you look good, dude. You look good. 
Yeah, you came, you came prepared. I like it. AWH is my place. We're a product firm. We help clients uh, build great software products. GBQ is a sponsor. Heartland Bank, if you need some place to put all your, your millions of dollars, talk to the people at Heartland Bank. And I think I'm forgetting one. Kia, who am I forgetting that I usually talk about? Oh, shit. Um, okay, it'll come, it'll come to me. Dickinson Wright. Dickinson Wright, yes. Oh, it's a good thing Alex isn't here. He would kill me. Dickinson Wright, so if you need legal help and you want to stay out of legal trouble, talk to Alex Brown and Dickinson Wright. So let's get started. Do you want to sit down or should yeah, we do the whole thing standing up? Yeah, good. Okay. So you, um, you started an airline. Yeah. What the hell were you thinking? Damned if I know. Um, I didn't have a job at the time, and they offered me to – well, actually, I did have a job. So this, one of the things that I try and show relative to – how a career develops when you're as old as I am, is an awful lot of it, and this is sort of one of the questions you had on your list, was... Wait, don't tell people I send the questions ahead of time. Oh, you, okay. All the mystique is now if, gone. If, if he had actually sent me a list, this would have been on it. <laughs> um, but um, one of the questions is sort of how does it all develop? How, how does it move forward? And, and some of it's opportunistic, and this is, would be one of those cases. So um, I was... I'd come back from IBM. I'd spent a couple of years being a... Um, executive at IBM, came back from um, Hong Kong where I was living in a hotel room for six months, which is a pretty good thing, and um, I get this phone call, and it says, how would you like to start up an airline in Columbus, Ohio? I said, you're kidding, right? And they said, no, 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 we've, we've, got, some, we've got something. So I said, what do you have? I said, so do you have any airplanes? No, we don't have any airplanes. Um, do you have any pilots? Well, no, we don't have pilots either. Um, do you have any money? Well, $3 million. And I was like, okay, that's not money. <laughs> um, basic price for starting up an airline, think $80 million, just as a startup. Um, so I said, they didn't have that. They said, well, maybe you could get it for us. And I went, no. Um, so I went off to Switzerland um, for what was supposed to be three years working at some big airline um, association thing that was, I thought would be fun, living in Geneva. That sounds pretty good, right? I'm single. Um, so uh, i just come back from Hong Kong, and being single in Hong Kong was a very good thing. So I thought, I, I thought being single in Geneva could be a good thing. Um, so I go there, and it turns out the person I would work for, um, the chairman of the world for this, um, was a crazy person. He was about five foot one and with a total Napoleonic complex, um, and he and I didn't get along at all. So that lasted three months, but it was nice three months in Geneva during the summer. So I come back, and that headhunter is like, hey. And you were single. And I was single, still single. Um, so I come back, and the headhunter says, Bill, you want to start up an airline in Columbus, Ohio? I said, really? He said, are you doing anything else? I said, no. Anybody paying any money? No. Do you like getting paid? Yes. Okay, I'll come to Columbus and talk about it. And from that conversation, started up Skybus Airlines. That was a long answer, but anyway. No, it was... It, 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 so did you, did you like it? I mean, did you like running an airline and being in the airline business? Um, I had been in the airline business since I was a young lawyer working originally for Eastern Airlines. Um, I love the airline business. I love airline people. It's, uh, it's the Rodney Dangerfield of industries um, because it's really hard to do, and it gets no respect. Um, you think of all the different things you have to do with an airline, and uh, it's a lot. The part that I like the least, and this one is really nasty, is you start fearing a telephone call in the middle of the night. Because if anybody's calling the CEO of an airline in the middle of the night, it's bad. 
Um, and I had one call like that, which happened to be relatively minor, and an, air, an airplane had skidded off the runway in New Hampshire um, during a snowstorm, and nobody was hurt. Um, but that's the worst part of starting up an airline. So um, I feel like it would, I feel like the list is just going to go out the window because I want to because I want to ask you questions that that now are you know weren't on the list to begin with. Um, so when you when you decide yes, I'm going to do this, did you guys already know the model for Skybus and that you wanted to be low cost, or did that develop as you dug in and were figuring out? How the hell are we actually going to start an airline? Um, the model instructions were as follows. Um, everybody familiar with Southwest Airlines? Okay, everybody familiar with Ryanair? Okay. The whole model was figure out how to get the best out of Southwest and the best out of Ryanair. That was the model. Okay. And I was like, okay, you know Southwest is all about people experience and everybody loves the airline and the employees love it and everybody hates Ryanair. And they go... Yeah, that's true. And I said, you don't think there might be a cultural in, you know, conflict there somewhere? Yeah, figure it out. So um, that was the operating model, and we had to figure it out from there. But it was fun. I, I like figuring out things. I like solving that problem. Um, and I'll give you one simple example of what we solved. And this is one of those things that are, from a, from a startup standpoint, I think the following things need to be true. Um, and it's only three. And you need to get wow out of each of them. Now, for, oh, for those of you who are doing presentations or thinking about startup ideas, if you cannot get the word wow, you don't have what you need yet. Um, and I'm going to explain that. If you look at an idea for a startup and you're talking to people about it, you've all done that. If they say wow, you're onto something. If they go, well, that's interesting, you're not onto something. <laughs> wow is an, is an immediate reaction that people make. It's sort of like some people say awesome instead but it's the same kind of word. It's automatic, it expresses an, an immediate feeling of terrificness. So your first idea has to be a wow. Um, the second wow you need, because I said you need three, is you need to solve an execution problem. Because normally when you come up with a new idea, you're offered opportunity to change the way things are done. This is where it becomes disruptive. Investors, as you all know, love disruptive. Um, and then the third wow needs to be Damn, it makes a lot of money. Um, so when you have all three wows, time to look for money. Um, time to get it. So with that thought, Skybus had a couple of wows. The first wow was, I ultimately figured this out, a $10 fare. You can, you can fly people for 10 bucks? Of course not. Can you fly some people for 10 bucks? Yes. Um, and Skybus marketing was built on the idea that I could sell on every flight 10 seats at $10. And we did it. So that was the first wow. <coughs> the second wow is execution. How the hell do you make money at a super low-cost airline? All right, so this will be a test. See how many of you guys can pass it. What do you think is the single most expensive single asset you can buy if you're an airline? Airplanes. You have any idea how expensive airplanes are? Okay, airplanes are really expensive. You don't actually buy them if you can avoid it because you're going to finance them, but you're going to acquire them. Okay, so they are your single most expensive asset. Now, if you have an expensive asset, do you A, ignore it and put it on the ground somewhere and not use it very often, B, 
use it all the time and wear it out, or C, somewhere in between? Wear it out. All right, not such a great idea in the safety world, because <laughs> airplanes that get worn out tend to do bad things, and they become unreliable. So the correct answer is C, somewhere in between. Okay, now, what are the, on, a per hour, on, a, on a number of hours per day basis, what are the, what's the range? Yeah, what's the range? What's the, possi what's the possible range, conceptual range? Zero to 24. Okay, so we've met, we're narrowed it down. Okay, now, going back to when Skybus was going, I think the answer is a little bit different now. Southwest Airlines was one of the leading low-cost plays in terms of using airlines per hour. I mean, I'm sorry, per day, hours per day. What do you think that number was? Somewhere between zero and 24? 10, we hear 10. Who takes, high, who takes the above 10? Wrong. Who takes below 10? Okay. Who takes below 9? Who takes about 8? <laughs> now think about that. Your most expensive asset is only being used 8 hours a day. Skybus got it up to 12. We were the only people in the world that were flying our airline, not to where we couldn't keep it maintained, but we had the airplane actually in the air more than half the time, 12 hours a day, only airline in the world. That allows us to get costs really low because you're getting all that extra use. You're getting use out of everything. So as we go through this, that was sort of the key to getting that airline going. We flew our airplanes more than anybody. So, so there's not a happy ending to this story. So why did it not work? Um, it didn't work because when you go to raise money, especially, we ended up raising $160 million for Skybus. More than anybody had ever raised for a startup airline in the history of the world. We also got it to a million passengers faster than any airline in the history of the world. We got to a million passengers in 10 months. Unfortunately, we had answers for everything except the combination of two things that had never happened in the history of the world. In the history of the world, you never had a situation where you were entering a very substantial recession at the same time as the price of fuel went through the roof. It went to $145 per barrel from a business model that started at 80. The recession goes down like this, your demand curve goes like this, and your cost curve is going like this because it's fuel for a startup is about one-third of the costs. And there was no way we could do anything with that, and we weren't alone. There were about 22 startup airlines around the world right then. 20 of them died within four months. The only two that didn't die, one was, um, um, whatchamacallit, the one, not America West, the, the one out in San Francisco that just got bought by Alaska. Um, I'm sorry? Virgin? Virgin America. Virgin America did not go out of business because Virgin put a billion dollars into it. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a billion dollars. And the other one was just a very limited startup um, that really hadn't gotten any of their cost step up yet. So everybody else died. Um, and, of course, the major airlines lost billions, too. So one of the other lessons for startups, this is a mean one, you can do everything you can do right, and the world can still kill you. The world killed it. Jesus, Bill. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> let's just go drink beer. Um, By the way, really good move having beer here tonight. Uh, we always have beer, um, so come back. And you know, even when you're when not speaking, just come back and drink beer with us. Um, I can do that. Some there have been there, well. So I've been doing this five years now. I've only had to crawl out of here twice. So I think that's a pretty good ratio, <laughs> right? That's pretty good. Um, Unless that's the positive side. That, those might have been the best nights, right? <laughs> exactly. That's when it went well. You got to crawl out of here twice. Right, exactly. Um, so you're a lawyer turned entrepreneur turned professor turned author turned maybe advisor and other things. I was also a consultant. Consultant, right? I was going to leave that part out. Huh. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your career? Has um, this all been intentional or has this all been some big weird accident? I, I think the, the secret is living long enough. Um, if you live a long time, you end up going to do a lot of different things. Um, I'm, I may not look up, I'm actually 142. Um, and therefore, because you keep if doing it. I said things, you look like it, that would be really mean. So yes, I won't it say would, that. and I would not be back. <laughs> Um, no, but, but truth is, I am 67. I have been in business now for ever since I was basically got out of law school. I got out of law school really young, so I was 23 when I got out of law school. So whatever number that is, 23 to 67, 44, right? Um, that's a lot of years. I get bored easy. Um, I don't like doing the same thing. I, and I love, and, and maybe this is an entrepreneurial thing, I love the challenge of doing something that hasn't been done. It's just exciting. I like, to, I like to get my adrenaline all flowing. Um, people ask me, well, Bill, don't you ever want to retire? And I go, why? I'm not any good at retiring. I'm good at starting up businesses. Shouldn't I do what I'm doing well? So unless I can't do that anymore because I've been hit on my head or I've had some weird brain disease, which hope, hope, let's hope not, um, I'm going to keep doing this. And so it, whatever that list is, it's not finished. Um, so the, the secret to that, though, I think, is a very simple thought. And you probably heard this from other advice givers. Say yes. Don't say no. Don't ever, ever say you can't do something. You will never hear me say, I can't do something. Um, and I don't, it may be harder. It may take a lot more study. It may, it may take some luck. It may take a whole bunch of things. But I would never say I can't do something. No startup person gets to say that. Because if you're really doing startups, you better be able to do everything because it's going to be required. Um, if it's your startup, you've got to do marketing, you've got to do finance. You can't go, try talking to an investor sometime about your great idea. And he says, so what about the financial? You go, I'm not good at numbers. You ever say that? Would you ever say, I'm not good at numbers to, a, to an investor? You know, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a great liar. So. <laughs> Good. You've got a chance to be a successful entrepreneur then. In fact, you're even better if you can't tell you're lying. If, if, you, if you don't even know. Yeah. The, truth, the truth starts looking like whatever it needs to be. You guys think I'm... I'll give you an easy example of this. How many of you all have created a P&L perspective, a pro forma, for your, for your startup? How many of you all had a hockey stick on it? How many people did a hockey stick? Anybody here actually believe in a hockey stick? <laughs> Other than for the game itself? 
Ha-ha. So there are a bunch of liars here, right? But of course not. We simply believe. You ever do a hockey stick? P&L projection? No. <laughs> anyway, you see the point. You, get, you, you have to do it all. You can't say you can't do something. Are you going to be equally good? Of course not. Are you going to look for terrific people? Of course you are. But you don't get to not do it. You don't get to say, I can't do something. So what principles, we, we're getting a sense of some of the principles, say yes, you know, be, know that you have to wear many hats if you're going to be a founder and start a company. What other principles do you hold sacred that, that you think every entrepreneur and every, every startup has to dig in around okay, and I, they have to get right to, to have any chance of being successful? I, I love the question because I literally wrote a book on it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 seriously. I just, I, I teed it up for you. I know. Um, I wrote a book. No, no, the book's not, I mean, you can get it on Amazon, um, but um, it's. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you know, no, but a on, few places where you can buy books. But you're going to be doing, you're going to be dealing in the aftermarket um, unless you can read Spanish or Russian or Hungarian. Um, the book has been published in eight languages, but it's out of print more or less in English because I published 12 years ago um, when I first started up Skybus. I thought I was going to do this other thing. But here's the, the, the book is called um, The Samurai Leader Winning Business Battles Through Wisdom, Honor, and Courage of the Samurai Code. The reason it's the answer to the question is that it basically says, it brings together Zen Buddhism with the idea of being able to be fearless in battle. And battle is, by the way, men and women both were samurai. Um, it's all about having the guts to go into battle and if you, re and it's a business battles, obviously, are what we fight all the time. And if you think about going into battle, you need to bring your best self. Um, the, the samurai code was built so samurai had a better chance of living in battle, so it happened to involve, involve very sharp swords. So um, if losing to a very sharp sword is a bad thing. So they learned that in order to win, you needed to be in the zone. In order to be in the zone, you had to have a whole bunch of things coming together. It's the same thing Tiger Woods at, was so great at in golf. When you, any athlete understands a concept, you've got to do a whole bunch of things to, do, get, to be there. The reason this is my underlying guiding principle is that I'm a huge believer that you have to bring your best self to work every day, that there is no time where you get to go not being your best self. And your best self is yours. You know who it is or what you need to do for it. I can't tell you what your best self is. All I know is most people think they don't have to do it every day. They think they could just do it on Fridays and get away with it, or some three times a week, but nothing more than that. What about the weekends? Just Friday mornings for me. <laughs> My point is, literally, every minute of every hour of every day, you bring your best self. And when you do that, you're going to be amazed at how well you succeed. So that's my lodestone. Always bring your best self. Now, do I actually do it all the time? I have bad days. Um, but I try. I, I'm very serious about what I say it. And you all, you all know it's true. I'll bet you there's not a single person here who really doubts that. You may doubt your ability to be your best self every day, but you don't doubt the value of it. And my point is, don't make excuses. So you've experienced things going well and succeeding, and you've uh, experienced things not working. Mm -hmm. How do you view risk and failure now, and how has your view around risk and failure changed over the years? Um, how many of you all think startups are risky? My hand is not going up. I think it's more risky going to work for General Motors. You know, 
there are so many risky jobs out there that I don't think of any one job being more risky than another. I think what's risky is spending your life doing things you don't want to do, spending your life doing things that are not exciting to you. So the very question of risk analysis, I turn on its head. Um, I don't think of risk. I think of doing what I want to do that I'm excited about that I will feel like was valuable in my life. Failure, it, it's out there for everybody. I, I lost an airline. You talk about depressing. Um, everybody in town knew who I was, and everybody stopped looking at me. They were like, ooh, he lost an airline. <laughs> okay, just so you know, no matter how much you think you lose, I top you. I have lost over $160 million of investment capital. That's a lot. So, as my wife will tell you, um, to recover from that, I just jumped out of bed the next day and went on to the next thing. No, not exactly. Um, that whole bed thing was right. I, she, we had a big TV um, in, our living, in our bedroom, and I watched old westerns for six months. <laughs> I, was, I was really down. <laughs> um, it really sucks. Um, but if I hadn't lost Skybus, I would never have started up Silvercar. And I'm very proud of Silvercar. So there is a risk-reward, a, a flow-of-life energy thing that I'm not near smart enough to figure out the pathway. All I know is right now, if I do my best and I'm liking it, I'm excited by it, that's the best investment I can make. So we hear, the, uh, so I'll add this first before um, I ask the next question. When I announced that you were gonna do this, I got like five emails from, from people saying, two of them said, oh, he's still alive. So, that, so I think that's a benefit. So that's good. Um, and the other ones were, can he still come to, back to Columbus? Uh, so there are some people that remember the sky bus falling off of a cliff time oh, yeah. and how things weren't that rosy no, that for could, you. Exactly. It was bad. In fact, I, not too long after sky bus died, I was um, having a, a drink at Third and Hollywood. Everybody knows Third and Hollywood? A, an old guy comes up. Not old. He was probably... 55. He was 68. <laughs> well, no, he's probably younger than I was. But anyway, um, he comes up and he says, I lost money on Skybust. I'm going to come and you, you'd be like, I don't kick your ass. Now, I am a guy, so I went, just try it, Buster. <laughs> but, but other than that, I mean, here's this person yelling at me to the point where the bartenders are thinking there's going to be a fight in there. And we're both too old for this. Um, so... There are a lot of people that remember that. Nobody's ever threatened to kick your ass, huh? <laughs> oh, not true. <laughs> Third in Hollywood can be quite the throwdown place, I've heard. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rumbles that yeah, happen yeah, at Third in Hollywood. And then he wasn't even wearing a Harley jacket. So we hear this narrative a lot that we learn more from our failures than our successes. Do you think that's true, or do you think that failure just proves that we're resilient and sort of demonstrates our character, but we actually don't learn that much from failures, and we learn more from success and the patterns of what works? All right, I've been asked this question a lot, and, and whenever people talk really? about Skybus... Really? Because like, I thought that was like a unique one. Yeah, not quite. Shit, Bill. So whenever I have to bring up Skybus, I talk about how much I learned. Okay. Okay. When I talk about Silvercar, I talk about how much I learned. They're both. One's a huge failure. The other's a pretty big success. How big of a success, it's by the way? Car? Yeah. 
Um, what did you see. What did you sell it in, for? In four years of operation, um, we just sold, we, we basically I was co-founder and first CEO. We just sold it to Audi for. Um, I'm not going to tell you the number because I can't, but I will tell you that how many zeros there were. One, two, okay, in numbers. So there's one number um, in front of one, two, eight, no, eight zeros. So nine figures. That's, that's, that's okay. That's okay. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad number. That's right. I, I was deluded to hell, by the way, I admit it. Um, because one of what the... did you say? You, you've been admitted to hell? What? <laughs> yeah, it feels like it. I was diluted oh. to hell. Um, here's another th thought, up, thought for startups. Be careful of startups that need too much capital. Because the more... I, I never put a single nickel of my money into anything up until this cancer startup I'm working on now. Um, and the reason is... Money is out there. There's money for good ideas. And it's sort of a test ground. If you can't get somebody else's money, why would you put your money into it? I know people think it's the opposite. Hell no. Um, so I never put any money into it. Um, certainly not Skybust. I would think way too much money. I get paid to do what I do. Um, so um, as, as you go through this, it's, it's really not about the number. I know everybody loves the number. All I know is there's going to be a silver car out there um, in more and more markets because we sold it to Audi, and Audi's commitment was to put silver car into dozens of new markets. And that would have cost a ton. Um, but they got it. So, um, so for, that's the answer. So for people who aren't familiar, what silver car, what problem does it solve, and then ultimately why did it make sense for Audi to buy it? Okay, this is actually pretty cool for a lot of different reasons. Um, first of all, the idea for Silver Car came up on a phone call. A guy called me up from, based on Skybus, because it was my general counsel from Skybus, and said, Bill, I was talking to this guy on an airplane, and he has this interesting idea for a car rental company. And I go, I hate car rental companies. Um, and he said, no, Bill, you've got to talk to you were supposed to guy. say yes all the time. I, I, I haven't finished saying no. I just said I hate car rental companies. Um, so he says, will you talk to him? And I said, yes. <laughs> Wasn't that clever? Well, well played. Well, well played. played. Well played. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we, I'm talking to him. And for 15 minutes, he's explaining to me why having a single car type, he wanted a Volkswagen Jetta, um, would work in the marketplace if you started up for the same reasons that Southwest Airlines works, because they only have a single airplane type. And I said, so this is a low-cost play. And I'd done Skybus Airlines. I hate low-cost plays. Low-cost plays are awful. Um, anytime you're doing a low-cost play, you're basically saying, I have no idea to deliver substantial value. All you're saying is, I can get things really cheap. So I don't like that. So, so I said, this is a low-cost play. He said, yes, yes. So for 15 minutes, I kept telling him how stupid the idea was. Now, this is where something comes. Um, and you ask how you do different things. So all of a sudden, I go, but wait a minute. You want to do a Volkswagen Jetta. That's a low-cost play if you're going to do it. What if we did something else? He said, what? I said, what if we rented only Audi A4s, new, low-mileage Audi A4s in great condition? He said, yeah, but what price would you have to charge? I said, what if we could do that at the same price Hertz and Avis rent their Malibus and Impalas? He goes, well, if you could do that, they wouldn't stay on the lot. And I go, yeah, that's what I think. Um, so he said, so how are you going to do that? And I said, I've got to figure that out. Um, and I figured it out because I knew the car industry. Um, I didn't know the car, knew the travel industry, and the car was part of that. 
um, what I knew was that if you go to San Francisco to rent a car on orbits, you're going to probably pay in the neighborhood of $110, $120 a day for a Malibu. Malibu that's got 30,000 miles, cloth seats. You don't know what was done on those cloth seats. You don't want to know. Um, it's a shitty car. Um, with all due respect to Malibus. Um, General Motors has taken a bashing here tonight. No one should work there, yeah, and they make a shitty that. product, apparently. <laughs> all right, sorry if there's to anybody, anybody here. from General Motors here, I apologize. Yeah, I'm, yeah who knew that who you were going to invite was going to say all this awful stuff? Um, so... But I also know that if you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you're renting a Malibu, you're going to rent it for $35. Now, what do we know about the cost structure related to San Francisco Airport versus Columbus Airport? For the whole set of costs for the whole car rental experience, it's not that different. Sure, there's some local costs, maybe 10% different, but not 300% different. So I figured out that I could rent silver Audi, and we ultimately decided silver, so everybody knew what you're getting. Every time you see a silver car, you're going to think silver, silver car. Um, just sort of a mental thing. And then I went, we're just going to rent it in the biggest airports, that where the highest margins are, because then I can do it. Now, what do we know? This is, again, this is the way you've got to think through startups. You've got to think through the business model at a level that nobody's ever thought through. So you go, I can bring a silver Audi A4, at a car price, rental price that they're used to seeing for Hertz and Avis for a Malibu, but I can only go to the biggest airports. But that's really good because I don't want to be like Hertz and Avis in a thousand locations. I want to be in not so many locations. I want to be in 30 or 40. And guess where they are? They're all at the biggest airports. So the best of the marketplace was right there at like 30 locations. We started in Dallas, quickly jumped to San Francisco, jumped over to LAX, and we were off and running. Um, now, here's the other thing that's interesting about this, and this is a, another switch on the way most people think about startups. You think about going into a big industry. Car rental industry is huge. You've got Hertz, you've got Avis, you've got Enterprise, global brands. So where do you attack a global brand? Here's another question. Where do you attack a global brand? Local, right? No. Who has a better answer than that one? Wherever their weakest point is. Not markets. Wherever their weakest point is. Now, where do you think the weakest point of a global brand is? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what type of market do you attack? You attack the center. We attack the very center of Hertz and Avis. We attacked their relatively frequent, but not very frequent, business traveler. Because that guy or woman got shitty customer service. You guys have been that person probably. You rent a car, you don't, have, you don't fly enough to be upgraded, you, just, you may have to get in line, even though you've rented, you may have a, hopefully you have the card. So we attacked it at customer service for the business traveler. And guess what? they were screwed because they couldn't fight us. They couldn't take that market and give them a car equal to the Audi A4 or the experience that we gave them because they were too big. So we attacked the center where they were most vulnerable and they couldn't attack back. They couldn't even hit back. I know because we, I met directly a friend of mine talked to the CEO of Hertz and he says, we can't, we can't touch those guys. We cannot match the product. Now, that's a 
bad comment about the car rental business, but there are a lot of big global industries that are like that, that are fundamentally have a shitty product. So a friend of mine says, you have to figure out what you want in life and then what price you're willing to pay for it. What price have you paid for being an entrepreneur and, and having this so-called career? Um, I wouldn't want to do anything else. So what price have I paid? I don't have steady income. Um, I have been very poor. Literally after Skybus, I was broke. Um, that sort of sucked. You know, um, I knew lots of friends who had by then were earning all sorts of um, building up their pension funds so they could get a nice consistent paycheck. Um, and you give up that. You give up any real sense of um, financial control um, until you make a really lot of money um, and then you stop thinking about it. So have I made a really lot of money? Um, been a millionaire a couple of different times. Um, but right now I'm back in the upswing, but it sucks in the downswing. Um, I caught you at the right point. <laughs> yeah. So you've done, and, and we, were, we were chatting before this, you've done all these different things, but you like writing the best. You said you enjoy it the I, most. I love writing. Why do you like writing more? Than, is it therapeutic for you? Is it, is, is it somehow make you seem more normal? What, what, why yeah, do you that get whole normal thing, I'm not real good at normal, so um, we'll put that normal thing over there. Okay. But um, it's, it's hard to say. I know this, that when I was young, I did a lot of reading. I, I love reading novels, but I also read a lot of history, etc. And I was probably too strongly influenced by Hemingway and Steinbeck and these guys because they seemed to have great lives. Um, just a great thing to do. And I went, I could write a book. I could write a novel, um, and because I always say, yes, I say yes, so I wrote my first novel when I was 23. Um, it was an Agatha Christie-type murder mystery, um, and it was bad. Um, and fortunately, before I only edited it like three different times. How many did you give away? Oh, it never got that far. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was like interesting as an experience, but then 10 years later, it's like, you know what, I haven't written a novel in a while, so I wrote another novel, and this one was more like an action-adventure thing. Um, and how many of those did I give away? None, never got there either. <laughs> so now I'm two novels in. Um, about the time I'm 36, 37, I come up with a new novel idea. It's about the airline industry and drugs out of South America and all sorts of stuff. It was actually a precursor to um, a Grisham kind of novel. And um, a publishing house in New York said they loved it, they thought it could be a bestseller, come on up, we're going to publish it. I'm like, the most happy guy in the world. This is my dream forever. Not only they're going to publish my novel, but it's going to be a bestseller. Um, and I just can't get over that. I send roses. You're, um, you're, you're thinking you're going to ask people to start calling you Hemingway now as exactly, your nickname. Right. Exactly, Hem. Just call me Hem. Right. You know? um, so I, I go up to New York, and the managing editor is a woman, and she's got the flowers right behind her in her office, and she's frowning. I'm going, okay, this doesn't look good. We're supposed to be celebrating. We're, we're really happy I'm going to have this published book. And she says, well, the head of marketing changed their mind. And we could publish it for you, Bill, but don't worry, somebody will publish it. But it's going to die because the marketing head is not in front of that. So I go, okay. I remember walking down 
um, under the stoop by the wall of the building on 2nd Avenue, 32nd Street. Not that I remember too clearly. Um, and I was like, ugh. This is, I said to myself, this is worse than losing an airline. Uh, okay, actually, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but it was really bad. Um, and then I didn't get it published. But my career, I became CEO of this um, computer reservation system company, and blah, blah, blah happened. So most recently, you can now get it on Amazon. I wrote a science fiction novel, um, which I think is really good, and it's called Quantum Times. And if you don't believe me, you can Google it. So far, what are the, people what are actually the, buying it. What are the ratings? What are the reviews? I hate to say it, but it's like 4.9. There's somebody... You hate, but you hate to say it. Yeah, I yeah. hate to say that, but yes. But there's only been like four of them. <laughs> <laughs> and one was my brother. But a couple of them weren't related. And they gave me five. So three people have liked your book who aren't related to you. This is, this is like, hey, you try writing a novel out there. <laughs> but the point is this. I love doing it. And it's all about if you love doing something, do it. Don't say you can't do it. Um, so, and this is, I've been reading a lot of theoretical physics because it's actually really interesting. I know you think not, but it really is. And then I wanted to write a novel based on the theoretical physics. Um, and if you're a sci-fi guy, you know that that can connect. If you're not a science fiction person, you go, what does one have to do with the other? But they actually do. So there's some line in your bio that says your dream thing or what you want to do in 10 years, some horse shit, like I'm, I want to sit under a palm tree on a beach and have people come looking for sage advice. For a uh, dollar. What, what's that? For a dollar. For a dollar, right, right, right. No, you're, well, yeah, at least you remember, the money. <laughs> at least you remember what it says. Um, <laughs> um, I, I gave that line um, like 10, 12 years ago. Um, I think as part of, um, somebody asked me a question like that, what do you want to do when you're done? And I go, well, I want to be this. Um, and it was sort of like a throwaway line, and somehow or other it's crept into all sorts of bios about me and articles about me, and I'm actually proud of it. Um, I mean, I think at a certain point when you're old, by the way, old, not young like me, but when you're old, um, you're supposed to get wise. And one of the things that we give up too often is the whole idea that wisdom's a good thing. Um, we don't respect it very much. We think it's more about, well, can you come up with a cool startup idea? Um, which is cooler, coming up with a cool startup idea or wisdom? Everybody here is going, cool startup idea. Um, I'm actually going, I want wisdom. Um, it's just not yet. I'm ready to do a couple more cool startups first. Is it easier to start a company now than it was 15 years ago? No idea. None of it is easy. There is no such thing as easy here. So that would suggest there's some kind of easy way to start up something. There never was. And, and I don't see how there can be. Um, starting up companies is really hard. Anybody here not think that? <laughs> see? Good. Nobody raised their hand. Yeah, nobody raised their hand. It's hard. Um, and if you think it's easy, you just haven't have been doing it long enough. Um, so there is no easy in this. But you've already heard my view on risk. I think it's worse to not go after it. I mean, you don't know what's going to hit. You don't know how it's going to change. Um, I feel lucky that I spent a lot of time climbing the corporate ladder for my first 15, 20 years, and then another 20 years where I'm just blowing and going, trying to figure out the next cool thing. Um, both are good, um, but right now I'm not going to go back. Nobody would have me. I'm too old. 
do you like incubators and accelerators and do you think they help entrepreneurs and startups or do you think that they're mostly irrelevant to whether an entrepreneur and a company is going to succeed or fail? I've been asked that question before and I, I don't know the right answer to that. Um, I know that I don't, I would never do it. I would never do an incubator. I would never have anybody telling me how I should do something and it's for exactly that reason. Um, one of the things that happens, and I'm trying not to do it, um, is you come up with a startup idea. And, and a lot of my students, I, I teach at Ohio State, um, and I have lots of students coming up with great ideas, and they want to come into my office and talk to me about it. And I always say yes. But I always start out with a warning. And it says, I'm not going to tell you whether your idea is any good or not. I may tell you how you might be able to make it better, and I'll give you my thoughts on how to make it better if, if they're worth anything, but you don't have to follow any of them. Don't let anybody tell you whether you've got something good or not. And I, the problem I have with the incubators um, of the sort is that they think because they know one thing, they know everything. So the fact that I know how to start up a car rental company does not mean I know how to do a telephone app, you know, or something else, I don't, a smartphone. I don't know. I don't know what the next great idea is going to be, and neither do they. Um, they think you can submit it to a formula. I don't think there is any such formula. So, but can they give you some good thoughts about the kind of issues you're going to face? Sure. But if they start giving you answers, start thinking twice. Because if they got such good answers, why aren't they doing it? Sorry, guys. I know a couple of you guys are, you know, rev one here or whatever. But um, so it goes. <laughs> Let's just, is there, anybody, is there anybody else that you'd like to break down and attack <laughs> and just derobe while we're at it? Um, well, what yeah, do you think about the Gates Foundation? Do you, like, <laughs> do you like the fact that they're helping people? Or would you prefer that they let people go hungry and children not learn how to... Well, okay, you think I'm actually being coy, but I'm not. There is something called the Law of Unintended Consequences, which is a bitch. <laughs> you can, you can I, figure that out as you go. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to respond to that, so I'm not going to. Who's got a question for Bill so that you can get me off the hook? Darren's got microphones. Darren's over here in the back corner. If you've got a question, raise your hand. He'll get you a mic. Okay, hold on. This guy's going to go first. He's got the mic. I think you said you worked for uh, Corporate America for 15 years or so? Yep. Is that what you'd recommend, to get a base somewhere, or would you have started sooner if you had the knowledge that you If did? I hadn't done that, I would not have been able to do Silvercar or Skywest. I mean, I... Basically went up the airline ladder. I learned about the airline industry. Um, and this is a really important point. So I'm glad you asked the question. If you don't know the industry in which you are trying to do a startup, don't do it. You have to know the space you're trying to go into. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard for somebody young who hasn't had... I had 20 years. I was a senior vice president of Continental Airlines um, on the pathway. I was CEO of System One, which did all their technology side for the airline. So I knew the industry. Um, when I thought about exactly what that way to make silver car succeed was, that was 20 years in the thinking. There was 20 years of gathering all the data, of understanding how the marketplace works, of how the distribution channels work. All these different things you have to know. The good thing about spending corporate America dollars is they're paying me to learn. Shit, Bill, but we don't have 20 years. I need this thing to work in like three. Well, then you've got a lot of studying to do. Um, 
So my answer is, depends on what area the startup is in, but you better understand how corporate America works because at a certain point, they become your devil. They become the competitor that may buy you or may crush you. So you've got to understand the industry you're playing in, one way or another. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, so I have two. I guess I'll just add. Oh, did you prepare these coming in? Or did you no, type no, them up while you were here? Notes, notes you well been, You should have been paying attention. Um, so I guess I'll ask one, then the other, because one's about... Why don't you ask the other one, and then the first one? Okay. Either, well, silver car first <laughs> it is. Um, so these are kind of more strictly, I guess, operational and strategy questions and kind of the, the, the macro scheme of things. But first, um, was the decision for a singular vehicle a kind of cost-saving decision to streamline costs? a marketing decision or an internal brand decision or some mixture of the above? Um, it was a mixture of the above, but it was the single most important decision we made. Yeah. Um, because what it allowed us to do was something that Hertz and Avis could not do, and that is create a terrific customer experience. Yeah. Literally, I'll give you an easy example of it. Um, and we, we don't always use this, but we have the capability. We can, you can take one of our cars in Dallas, and you get there and you set up the car, you move the seats, you set your radio station, you, know, you set your mirrors so everything is comfortable with that car. Then you drop that car off. Two weeks later, you go to San Francisco, you rent another silver car. We know everything you did. And we can move the seats, we can move the mirrors, we can fix the radio station, we can put your navigation system. Now, the reason we can do that is because we only had one car type. Um, Hertz and Avis, at any given time, they've got 50. Um, and they're different years, they're different models. You have to basically hack the instrument panel on the car to get into its computer, basically, so you can set all that. Because you know you can do all that on your own car, but the problem is putting all that information in the cloud, not putting it in your car. And the single car type allowed us to do that and a number of other things that we could not otherwise have done. Did you know that it was that critical of a decision when you were choosing to, to base it on no, a single car? No. I thought, I thought there would be some technological advances, advantages as well as a lot of cost, um, and, a, and it's far easier to market. There, see, there, I, thought, I thought I was fixing problems that I hated in the car rental experience, like never knowing what car type you got, um, getting an upgrade that isn't an upgrade. They told me an upgrade was to a Ford with F-150. You know, I'm like, I don't drive trucks. Um, I'm sorry, I know some of you do. I know probably a lot of you do, and if it was in Texas, I'd probably get stoned right now, <laughs> whichever way. Um, but Just don't say anything bad about Honda, please. <laughs> don't say anything bad about Honda. Well, I have to even up Ford versus General Anyway, so the point is, I did not know all the advantages, but we figured it out before we ever raised any money. We figured the whole play out before, and... We ultimately raised like $50 million for Silver Car, um, which was pretty good. What's your second first question? Uh, well, this is, this, is, this is 1B. Um, oh, very so, clever uh, getting in there. Yeah. Is there uh, CD, if there's C, D, and E, I'm out of here. Oh, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm excellent with numbers before 3 and letters before D, so we're good. <laughs> um, so was the use of the Audi, was that a specific vehicle decision, or was that because that was a planned acquisition partner? who kind of demonstrated previous, um, you know, I guess, forays into to that kind yeah, of Yeah, no, absolutely the former. So okay. th that was the first half of your answer, not the second part of the okay. question. Anyway, um, it was absolutely the pick, from my standpoint, on that first 15-minute phone call, 
because it was absolutely brand perfect for us. Um, we wanted to have a car that, first of all, was a superior car, something you go, wow, that'd be a great car to have. We did not want to have a car that a sales guy felt he couldn't show up in front of his customer on like a Mercedes because the Mercedes C300, a car I actually had at the time, um, is actually less expensive than an Audi A4 sort of um, typically um, outfitted. The other car we considered was a BMW, but the problem with the BMW from a sales standpoint or business guy is? Cost of maintenance. Cost the same. Cost of function. Think about it from a brand. If you're in a car rental business and you want the business traveler, the business traveler wants to show up in front of his client, in front of his customer, in a BMW? Too sporty. Wrong brand message. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, what do they think about my right. Toyota? <laughs> so the Audi was the perfect brand message for us, and it was instant. It, as soon as we had that as our car, our brand was, for the most part, identified. The hard part was getting Audi to agree to give a startup its car. Um, and before we ever raised any money, I had an agreement from Audi USA to basically give us, sell us 10,000 cars at 10% below MSRP. And that's one of the reasons we got funded, because that was the key thing that we had to show. So, but you said that they all had low mileage. So did they, what well, no, we got a brand new. Okay, but, that, but assuming that you said they had low mileage, at some point they hit a mileage, what, what happened then? 10,000, we, we paid them in. Okay. So back to Audi itself or to the third-party industry? Um, originally, it was going to be third-party. Audi decided they wanted them. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Audi started doing us deals, too, so we keep turning them over quickly because um, the re Audi was the, the, the question you almost asked. I, I, I would never pick a product based on who I could sell the company to yeah. because that's just putting the horse way before the cart, um, just way too soon. But Audi was always my target because what I believed would happen, the problem I was solving for Audi was that they thought they had a great car, but they thought that the brands that BMW and Mercedes, their biggest competitors had, were stronger brands and people wouldn't leave them to go to Audi, even though Audi believed they had a better car. So I said, you believe this, and your problem is that in a 15 or 20 minute car demonstration at a, a dealership, nobody's going to know one car versus another, but what if I could put you, your customers, your desired customers, who happen to be our desired customers, into a, a new, pretty new Audi for three days? And they went, ooh. So the reason Audi bought us was twofold. One, we figured out the whole movement of the car world, the way it's evolving. We figured it out a couple of years ago. Um, and the second thing they realized is they sold more Audis in the United States when people used silver car. Pretty compelling. Good question. Um, so I guess but you right now, right are now. You, yeah, now. Are you, are you like in the I, auto I, I, auction stuck, wholesale okay. business? What the hell's going on here? <laughs> are, you, are you like a, a, a plant? So, um, Are you representing Audi? <laughs> okay, one more question because we have to get somebody else. Um, all right, so this the, the efficiencies with the planes point was really interesting to me. Um, so I guess the, the the biggest question I have is what allowed you to use the planes more? Was it solving a lot of inefficiencies across the entire processes with scheduling, maintenance, 
or was it specific technology products that streamlined systems? Or I wanted to deliver the best. Thank cars. God, a Skybus question. For, for, uh. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that Skybus or Silvercar? Sky. That was Skybus. Sky uh, how so, did you so get I'm plane saying, utilization to 12 yeah, hours? How, how did you increase it by essentially 50 percent from average? Or from the high end, right? And, and was it... Lots of things. Yeah. Lots of things, including... Some of these things, you just have to think differently. Yeah. Um, if you were going to get on Skybus, you had to go down, not to a gate, you had to go downstairs, ultimately, to the ramp. And what, on the ramp, sometimes it would rain, and sometimes it would be cold, yeah. and you had to deal with that. But the benefit was, we literally told them we did not want a gate because we wanted to be able to put passengers on and off the airplane through two doors, back and front. Yeah. And that dramatically improved turnaround time. Your biggest problem with flying 12 hours is you've got to turn the airplanes. You know, they need a certain amount of time to board and, and deboard customers. Um, we cut that into a third. Um, so there was, that was just one example. Um, but there were a lot of things like that. So was the predominant thing? Hey, 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 that, that was the last question. <laughs> Shit, dude, we got to move on. Um, you can hang around afterwards, right? Because uh, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's Tom, right? Yeah. Uh, Tom wants to go buy you a beer and hang okay. out for the next but three here's, hours. Here's the thing, again, from a learning standpoint. Um, Tom was asking the right kind of questions for a startup person. Because yeah, hey, don't give him these accolades after I'm telling him not to ask any more questions. But, but, what the hell's wrong with you? But he's, he got all the magic he was going to get. But anyway, here's the point. The point is that it's in the detail that you win. You have to get all the details right. You've got to work down all the way into the ugly gray stuff where you don't want to. You want to be, I'd love to be up top, you know, 30,000 feet, excuse the pun for an airline, um, and just think about big thoughts. No, you've got to think about the little thoughts too. Tom, good job. <laughs> At what point? Marcus, go ahead. So on the face of it, Writing a book and leading companies are, are very different things. What are, there, are there parallels between the two, and how do you go, kind of go back and forth between those worlds? Being your best self every day. That's the thing that's common. L let me tell you this. Um, and, and sounds so Oprah, though. Right? Be your best self every she day. She may be our next president, you, so be careful. Are you meditating in the morning? What no, are you doing? I don't, I don't meditate. Um, but, however, there's a big but here. Um, and I'm not talking about Oprah. <laughs> I did not say that. I've been, I've been doing this for five years. You're the one that's going to get, get me kicked out of the Star Wars family. <laughs> There's a Groucho Marx joke about that, but we'll skip over that. Um, anyways, here, here's the thing. Um, everyone here is smarter and more capable than you think you are. You flat out are. But you go through a school system, you go through the whole bunch of, you go through all sorts of people who constantly tell you that you're not that good at something. And hopefully they're saying what you are good at. But the implication is there's lots of things you're not good at and only a few things you actually might be good at and probably not good enough. That's the world we live in. That's, that's our parents, that's our teachers, really. Um, and that's our business leaders. Um, always stressing on, we gotta find what you're really good at. The other way to read that is, wow, you're bad at a lot of things. Um, I don't believe that. Um, I believe we put messages into our own head that starts limiting us. Um, and you'd be surprised how much more you can do. You can be both a writer and a CEO. They are not necessarily different things. They're different 
preparations. There are different ways of approaching it. But I promise you, there's no one way to, be, to write anything, and there's no one way to be a CEO of anything. So there's a lot of room for your version of it, and you simply have to be your best. Now, what does that mean? It means, among other things, stop doing stupid shit. Um, and I'm very serious. Most of you why all... You look, why did you turn and look at me when you said that? <laughs> That's so unfair. <laughs> you don't know most of the stupid shit I've done. I, I, one of the things I learned early, because I saw it happening, was people get under stress, and then they start doing things they really shouldn't do. Easy metaphor, they take a gun in their hand, and they're looking at their foot, and they're going, I wonder if it would hurt if I shot my foot. Um, and, but I don't know, probably, probably would hurt. Probably would hurt a lot. Yeah, I wonder, really? Let me try. Boom! <laughs> I am serious. I can take you through person, people's careers one after another. What the hell are you talking another. about? <laughs> one way or another, you, people shoot their own feet off. They, get, they create their problems. And then they're wondering why they're not getting promoted. Um, they're wondering... Oh, so you mean metaphorically? Yes, except okay. for you. Um, <laughs> I know metaphor is tricky. Um, Anyway, metaphorically, don't do stupid shit. Anybody not understand what stupid shit is? I know conspiracy. <laughs> we all do. Stop doing it. Based there. on your experience uh, with multiple startups and kind of going operationalizing and working your way through that, at what point do you professionalize, quote unquote, the the management or leadership of a startup that has been successful through a growth curve, and then you kind of figure out, hey, either I'm not the person that should be doing this, or this other person shouldn't be doing this. What, what does that look like? Okay, that is. A I single would, hold on for a second. You look very studious tonight. Yeah, I know. You look very smart. Yeah. That is that is the single toughest question in a startup. For a successful startup, when you're when you're winning, and it starts with when do you get out? You know, it's your startup. You're the brilliant guy, right? By the way, um, the VCs think the only brilliant people are them, but we'll skip over that. Um, see, now we're taking a shot at VCs. I, I love hate Do you want to name anybody? By oh, name? yeah. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> so I don't know the answer to that because it all depends on the individuals. It all depends on the, the way the company is growing. That's a huge problem. Because the one thing that you have to have as the company grows is more and more talent, not less and less. You know, and everybody does have things that they're best at, and you want those areas to be represented. For instance, um, somebody might be good with numbers and became your CFO. Um, at a certain point, you probably need a professional CFO. Um, that, that really is more than just good at numbers, who actually understands accounting systems, for instance. Um, but anyway, so I don't have a good answer for that one, and I struggle with it myself. Okay, we'll take two final questions. Darren, you said there's one over there? Uh, ben Duval, hi. And uh, my question is, when you're going through the initial idea phase, how do you convince people that what you have is something real and not just some words on a page or a couple charts and projections? I start by convincing me. The very first person you have to convince is yourself. If you don't believe it, nobody else is going to. Um, and we all sort of have our doubts. You know, is this really a great idea? I mean, is Silver Car really a good idea? I don't know. Nobody said yes yet. 
I went a year trying to get it funded and had no success. Maybe this is a bad idea. Um, so you've got to start by convincing yourself. And then you're on the road. Um, that's the starting point. Convince yourself and, and don't make it easy. Don't go, ooh, I'm so smart. Just go, let me think about this. Have I really thought it all the way through? Yeah, but some people are so delusional, right? And some of them are brilliant. So how do you, so if, if you're a delusional entrepreneur, how do you know whether you're delusional or brilliant? That's the problem. <laughs> okay. You know, there's the famous one, is just because you're paranoid doesn't mean somebody isn't following you. you know? Tim, save us. So, so I'm just curious, when you went and pitched this to Audi, and there's a definite brand, an upper-scale, high-quality brand, were they concerned about what that would do to their image as a car company to be in a rental fleet? or a, you know, a Their single biggest company? problem was that one. Um, and in fact, they'd already pulled Audis out of Hertz because they thought Hertz disrespected their cars. So I'm coming in to do that. So things lead on. As it happens, during um, Skybus, I used this great marketing advertising company called the Richards Group out of Dallas. Stan Richards is himself Hall of Fame advertising. Um, they do, uh, I could count all the different brands they do. They do Ford 150 trucks. Um, they do the Chick-fil-A ads, all the cows and all that stuff. That's theirs. They did um, the beer for, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the beach and the beer um, for Corona. Um, so I've been using them, including Stan Richards himself. So I call up Stan and say, Stan, how would you like to come with me to Audi and tell them not to worry about the brand? We got it. This is sort of cool. Stan has his own airplane. We flew up on Stan's airplane to meet with the, the head of marketing for all of Audi USA. And he's like, yes, sir, Mr. Mr. Stan Richards. We, we, we're not worried about the brand anymore. Great question. And that's what we did. And it worked. Um, so your question is a great example of fix, your, fix the biggest problem you have as big and strong as you can fix it. It's, it's lucky, obviously, that I knew Stan Richard could do that. But use what you got. Well, this will be the last time I'm here doing this. Um, so it's been fun. It's been a good run. Um, but in lieu of that, still help me thank Bill for coming and joining us today. Thanks for listening to this Startup Brand Columbus event podcast. We will be back next month with more entrepreneurial experiences and insights. Thanks again to our lead partners, AWH and Rev1 Ventures. Visit startupgrind.com forward slash Columbus to see our future events and to see videos of past ones. Until next time, keep grinding. Keep grinding.